hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. Guess what? We are having a party. That's right. We are having a party. If you're a client or if you've signed up for our mailing list, well, you're going to be getting a save the date soon. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll be sending out the actual invite with the RSVP information on it. It's purely a social event. So come out, meet us, have some fun. For this one, we have Rudy Maxa coming out. And if you don't know Rudy, Rudy has a travel show on PBS. It's called Rudy Maxa's World. And he's coming out with a new show here soon. Anyway, Rudy is going to come. He's going to share some travel tips with us. It should be a really good time. So make sure you check your inboxes for the invite. Now, this past Saturday is a day I look forward to all year long. It's when Warren Buffett publishes his annual shareholder letter. So in just a couple of minutes, I'll give you some of the highlights from the letter. I'm also going to be talking about the Olympics and what you can learn from the athletes. But first, let's spend just a couple of minutes on the market. Last week, the markets rallied for a second week in a row, and the market has recovered more than 50% of the February correction. Remember, the market's been concerned about rising inflation expectations, about monetary policy, and about rising bond yields, among other things. Right now, the leadership has been in in the growth areas rather than the defensive sectors. And when I say defensive, I mean the consumer staples, the utilities, and the telecoms. You have to take, you really have to take that as a positive for the market because typically the defensive type stocks outperform the growth names right before the market rolls over. At the moment, I don't really see anything that leads me to believe that we'll have an economic downturn in the very near future. As a matter of fact, I'll be updating my long-term forecast or what I call the reading of the tea leaves here. I'll be updating that forecast in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you listen. But for now, I think we are likely in a consolidation phase where we'll have more volatility than what we've seen over the last couple of years. And a retest of the lows, well, that wouldn't surprise me. That happens more often than not. From a technical standpoint, the current rally off the bottom has been accomplished on unusually low volume. And there really hasn't been much improvement in market breadth either. Despite the rally, only a little more than 50% of the stocks are trading above their 50-day moving average. That's for all you technicians out there. I think you need to see much more positive volume before we can say that this correction has run its course. And as you know, I'm not a macroeconomist. I don't play one on TV. I'm not a big picture kind of guy. I feel much more comfortable focusing on business fundamentals, and I'll let that drive our investment decisions. So let's stay disciplined. Let's stay value oriented, and let's look for 
good companies selling at good prices. As I said, this weekend, Warren Buffett released Berkshire's annual letter to shareholders, and you can find it on Berkshire's website. This year, well, I got to tell you, I was a little bit disappointed because the letter was a little bit shorter than it's been in the past. And that's mainly because he admitted commentary on some of the smaller businesses that he's talked about in past letters. And really, most of that information can be found in the 10K anyhow. But as always, it's well worth the read. As a matter of fact, this is something I think every investor should read, even if you don't own Berkshire Hathaway shares or you don't like Warren Buffett. I think you should read the letter. It starts out as it has for the last 30 years or so, and that's with a table of Berkshire's performance. It lays out the book value per share, the market value per share, and then it compares it to the S&P 500. And can you believe that over the last 52 years, Berkshire has on average returned 20.9% per year? Unbelievable. I'll say it again. Berkshire has, on average, returned 20.9% per year, and that's versus the S&P 500 of 9.9%, and that includes dividends, the S&P number did. Now, that 9.9% for the S&P, that's not a bad number, but when you look at it compared to the 20.9, well, that's 11% more per year, and then you compound that out over more than 50 years, well, that adds up to some serious cash. I've always valued Berkshire two ways, one on book value and one on intrinsic value. And I'll save intrinsic value for another day. But according to Buffett, book value increased 23% last year or by $65 billion. Now, out of that $65 billion, $29 billion came from Congress. And the tax changes. And 36 billion came from actual operations. So not bad. I mentioned on a on multiple occasions that I think Berkshire's biggest challenge going forward was putting to work its huge stockpile of cash. Right now, Berkshire is sitting on north of $116 billion and more is coming in the door every day. The problem, Buffett says, is not finding a good business, but finding ones that are selling at sensible prices. He's having problems putting the money to work. Low interest rates, cheap money has moved the market multiples higher. And they're erring on the side of caution. As he puts it in the letter, they believe it's insane to risk what you have and need in order to obtain what you don't need. I've seen, I've seen this firsthand where investors are stretching their so-called beliefs in order to try and capture short-term gains, thus blurring their long-term vision. In other words, ignoring valuations because the market is going up. I think that's dangerous. The biggest operation Berkshire has is its insurance business. And for the last 14 years, they've had an underwriting profit that ended last year. Well, they've had three hurricanes. Well, they 
you know what I mean. There were three hurricanes, which resulted in three billion in losses, two billion after tax. But that's just the nature of the insurance business. You're going to have these catastrophe losses every once in a while, as long as you do a good job on underwriting in the long term, they'll do just fine. The wholly owned businesses like Clayton Homes, Burlington Northern, they all seem to do well, as did the equity portfolio, which is worth north of $170 billion. Berkshire, as you may know, owns more than 17% of American Express, almost 7% of Bank America, uh, 9% of Coca-Cola, and almost 10% of Wells Fargo, and 3.3% of Apple, a stock that we've talked about on the show many times before. Apple is actually Berkshire's second largest position dollar-wise right behind Wells Fargo. Over time, Buffett believes that equity investors in America have the wind at their backs. And then later in the letter, he also says that there's simply no telling how far stocks can fall in a short period of time. Now, that wasn't him making a market call, but it was more about him commenting on the use of leverage. And I think leverage can be very dangerous. And he was saying, you should also know what you own and why you own it for when the times, when the market gets rattled, you don't panic. Again, this letter is something I think every investor should read. Listen, we've come up to the break. We're going to step away. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Olympics. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in a moment. You worked hard. You saved and invested along the way. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off so you can do what matters most to you, whether it's giving back to your community or ensuring a safe, comfortable retirement. It's never too late to start planning. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. If you want someone who can help you navigate the investment landscape, then please visit us at our website, xmlfg.com or call us at 301-770-5234. Well, welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Thanks for joining us. Sunday night, the torch went out at the Olympics and we have to wait two more years to see the best of the best compete. I just love the Olympics. I I look forward to it. We had some memorable moments this year. And I guess every Olympics have their memorable moments, don't they? This year, the U.S. had its first gold in men's curling. And we found out there are a lot of curling fans out there. Even Mr. T is a fan of curling. The women's team, the women's hockey team, well, they finally overcame the Canadians for gold there. What a rivalry, I'll tell you, that's been going back for years. And what was probably my favorite moments of this Olympics for the U.S. was when Jessica Diggins and Keegan Randall won the gold medal in cross-country skiing. Not only was it a great race, but if you missed it, wow, the announcers were unbelievable. They should have won a gold for that announcing segment, too. If you missed it, try and find it on YouTube. You'll enjoy it. Now, these athletes, they train for years to reach that stage. And no matter what sport it is, they all have one thing in common, a solid core. 
And that's everything from from the waist to the armpits. They have a solid core. If you've ever been to a personal trainer, then you know a lot of the focus is on building the core. And I started thinking to myself, that should be the same for investors. I'm not saying get down and give me 20. What I'm talking about is the core part of your portfolio. To me, there are basically two kinds of stocks in my portfolio. The core stocks and the longer term trades. Now, the core stocks are the ones that I buy with the intent of holding them forever. And in order for me to do that, well, they better be pretty darn good companies, fantastic companies. As a matter of fact, I'd say there really aren't too many companies that fill that bill, only a handful. I think a core holding should make, or the core holdings should make up the bulk of an equity portfolio. These are the high quality businesses that aren't going away tomorrow. They have these high walls and wide moats around their business, and they aren't open to obsolescence. Of course, Berkshire, which I own and I just talked about, is a core type holding. It's pretty darn hard to start an insurance company. It's not like you can walk out to your garage and start selling policies. And insurance isn't going anywhere. I don't know what you're going to be driving in 20 years or even if you're going to be driven autonomously, but whatever. What I do know is that you'll probably be writing a check to the insurance company on whatever it is. These are going to be the companies you're not going to have to worry about no matter what the market conditions are. They're going to let you sleep at night. Now, a company like CVX, which I own and which I like and I've talked about on this show, well, CVX wouldn't make my list as a core holding because the business is too cyclical. Energy companies go through their booms and their busts, just like the home builders. They have their cycles too. You get the idea of what I'm talking about here. There's always going to be a steady demand for insurance, banking, healthcare. These are the core type holdings. And in my opinion, you should buy the best of the best in these types of industries. Now, when you buy the best of the best, you should expect to pay up for them, right? You're buying quality here. You're buying predictability. You're buying a company with a great balance sheet and great management. When you buy a true core holding, then you're going to have it in your portfolio for years and years. And it's really not going to matter a great deal whether you buy it now or whether you wait for it to go down 50 cents and hit your price target. The real risk is in buying lower quality companies at a high price. That's your real risk. Here are a couple of simple rules for investing I want you to follow. Number one, and I've said this before, it's really important. And that's have a plan. And I mean a real plan. And you need to commit to it. If you're building a house, you get blueprints. If you decide you're going to run a marathon, then you're going to come up with a training program. And if at some point you want to retire or maybe do something else, I'll kind of put retirement in quotes here because Retirement means so many different things to different people. But if you want to retire at some point, then you need a plan. The plan is the foundation. It tells you what you need to do savings wise, and it tells you what your investments need to do for you. Once you know this, 
then you can start to develop your asset allocation. And I'm talking stocks, bonds, and cash. If you don't need to take a lot of risk, then you shouldn't. Now, I'll use another sports analogy here. If the Redskins are winning 40 to nothing and it's the first half, do you think they're going to come out in the second half and start throwing Hail Marys? No. They're going to play it smart. They're going to play more defense and they're going to try and not to blow it. The goal is to win the game, not score as many points as you can. Most of the listeners out there, well, you don't need to achieve double digit types of returns. So if you can call down on the risk, well, why wouldn't you? In my humble opinion, achieving an 8% type of return over the next few years is going to be very, very difficult just because of the current valuations in the market. To sum it up, have a plan. Turn that invisible into the visible. Develop a reasonable allocation, an asset allocation. The goal should be to meet or exceed the plan, taking on the appropriate amount of risk. Studies show you're much more likely to succeed if you have a written plan. Rule number two, and I'm not going to beat on this today, but I will be value oriented. This is absolutely no doubt in my mind that you should be value oriented. I think you should have 80 to 90% of your stock portfolio in value type stocks. Yeah, having 10, 15, maybe even 20% in the growthier type names. Hey, that's okay. I'm not going to argue with you. If you aren't value oriented, keep listening. Maybe I'll convert you over to the dark side here. I think if you buy quality companies and you buy them inexpensively, then you naturally assume less risk. Like I was just talking about, that doesn't mean no risk. There's always risk in investing. Investing. My point here is, if you can take less risk and still get to where you want to be, well, that just sounds like good common sense to me. I'll tell you, the world would be a lot better place with more common sense in it. Rule number three, be patient. Don't expect an investment to pay off right after you buy it. It's not going to happen. You need to be like Aunt Betty. And we all have an Aunt Betty in our lives. She's the one who bought XYZ years and years and years ago, took the stock certificate, stuck it in the drawer, and didn't worry about it because she bought high quality, something she could depend on. And she let it do its thing. She let it compound for a very long time. That's what I think you should be doing own good companies based off of fundamentals and be patient. Don't get caught up in the short-term price movements. Hey, good stocks like say Pepsi, Pepsi goes up a couple of dollars one day and goes down a couple of dollars the next. Well, chances are they didn't sell a lot more Pepsi one day and a lot less the next. No, that's the market. Long-term real wealth is created by latching on to great businesses run by good, honest managers who act like owners. The managers who make the right asset allocation decisions, who grow their dividends, who grow the value of the business over the long term. That's what you're looking at, the long term. That's about all we have time for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow.
Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.